have a prayer where it plays off in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke 21 and verse 13. And we're going to continue with our study of the Olivet Discourse. Um, but we're going to offer up a uh, blessing for Thomas, who's uh, gone on to his class. And we need to get ourselves ready, ready to look into and to study the Word of God. This is about last days. It is a preparation for the last days. And as mentioned last session, a lot of people don't know what, what they believe. Uh, if they don't believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God anymore, then why are they going to bother to study it? Well, if you don't bother to study the Bible, how are you going to be prepared for this generation? We're in the middle of an evil and perverted generation, as it's called, and how are we going to be able to distinguish truth from error? Uh, there's only a, one standard, and that is the standard of the Lord God Almighty. And if we don't know that standard, and we're not reminded of that standard, uh, the, 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 <laughs> the world will bury us. That's just exactly what it'll do. We'll lose sight of the real prize. We'll get our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the results will be catastrophic. So we need to prepare. This is part of what the church is designed to do, is prepare people for the time in which they live. And so that's what we'll be doing this morning. So let's take this time for prayer and get ourselves ready. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are indeed blessed. We want to thank you for all that you have done, for all the blessings that you've poured out upon us. Father, we want to thank you that uh, your plan is still going to happen. You know everything that's going to happen. Father, you have uh, designed an amazing plan uh, and permitted us to be a part of it. For that, we are truly awestruck. Father, as we look into what you have revealed about coming events, Father, I pray that we'll come to a good understanding, that we'll be able to remember them and be able to use them wisely. I pray we'll be able to identify what is going on in this world without becoming overwhelmed by it, Father, because we have believed in your Son who's overcome the world. Let us keep our focus proper. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, we're going to read at uh, 21.9. Remember, we've been going through this. We're doing um, uh, the three Gospels that, that uh, record the Olivet Discourse. Luke 21, the, got the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, was designed to be done in chronological order. So that's why we're using Luke as our standard and connecting Matthew and Mark into it. So you're going to see uh, and what we've done is put the Luke passages and then connected Matthew and Mark into it the way it is, it is um, uh, designed to be done. The three different uh, accounts, the three different renderings of it, prepare disciples for different time frames. And this account in Luke as we're going to see when we get to verse 20 to 24, is preparing the first century Christians. Now, when the Lord started teaching the Olivet Discourse, which is his most extended prophetic discourse that we find, the Lord is known as the prophet. So when he says something, it, it is going to happen. So you want to know 
what it is. If you're going to study prophecy, you have to know exactly what is being said. You have to identify the time frame to which it belongs. You have to stay within the context that is established. Basic principles of hermeneutics. The prophecy you have to pay particular attention to because the Lord can put together a prophecy of two widely separated events actually in one sentence. He did it in Isaiah 61.1 and we talk about about the, what the Lord did, and he uh, proclaimed the favorable year of the Lord. He read that in the Isaiah scroll in the synagogue during his earthly ministry, and he sat down. It says he sat down. They said, what is it? And he said, today the scripture's been fulfilled in your hearing. First advent. Now the very next line was, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's second advent. And he put it all together in the same Hebrew sentence. So you have to pay attention. Prophecy is a big jigsaw puzzle. That's what it is. And you, you, you look for the pieces that fit together. And you start fitting them together and assembling them together. Occasionally, you might find one that's missing. But we got enough that is there that you can pretty well describe the piece you're looking for. You may not have the verse to put the stamp on. But you can describe what you're looking for there. And it's amazing how if you keep studying, things keep popping up. And you keep finding the pieces. It's a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, at least, because there's 10,000 verses that deal with prophecy, and there's pieces of those verses inside of that. So anyway, in Luke 21, 9, he says, And when you hear of wars and disturbances, now the disciples ask him, Tell us what will be the sign of your coming, and when will be the end of the age? So they ask him this question, but what age? Age of Israel. It's what they ask him. So you have to pay attention. He starts to answer them. He doesn't avoid it. He answers them with information that they will be able to use and use fairly quickly. And so the end of the age, okay, that's the age of Israel. We know from Daniel 9, verse 24 to 27, Daniel 70 weeks, and there are 490 years allocated to Israel. 483 of those were completed the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And what day did that happen on? Palm Sunday. What is today? Oh, kind of appropriate. Okay. He rode in, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were all singing and happy. They thought he was going to throw the Romans out. Then he didn't throw the Romans out, so he started teaching. He's teaching this portion during that week leading up to the cross before he uh, presents himself as an as a offering on the cross. So here is the, the information, and he pulls four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He takes them up the Mount of Olives. That's why this is called the Olivet Discourse. He takes them up the Mount of Olives, and here he gives them these pieces of information. So when you're translating, you have to constantly identify the pronouns. Who are the, who's the we's? Who are the you's? Who are the they's? Who are the pronouns? You have to identify those, but he's talking to these four directly. So we know they're going to apply to those four, but then the question is, do they apply to other people? Because what this is, is um, characteristics and markers that are going to prepare us for the second advent. Now, if you know prophecy, you know that rapture and second advent are separated by seven years. So if they're preparing us for the second 
Advent, then we're going to be able to see some things coming. And that's part of what he's telling us about. There'll be things that have to happen before he comes back. And here in verse 9, he says, And when you hear of wars and disturbances, and um, do not be terrified. Don't be scared out of your wits. Interesting words only used once. Don't be terrified, for these things must take place first. Now, wars means a plurality, right? Disturbances are little battles within the wars that he's talking about. But the end does not follow immediately. Now, there some people believe that on the day of Pentecost that the rapture was imminent since the day of Pentecost. But how many wars had happened <laughs> the next week after the day of Pentecost? Well, there was, I'm sure, some going somewhere, but see, he's already talked about earthquakes, famines, and all those other things that happen. There has to be a plurality of those, and very clearly he's saying there's going to be a time lapse. There's going to be a period of time lapse before the second advent, and it makes sense. Uh, we know that the, the church was not given a whole lot of information, uh, in fact, zero information is what we learned um, last hour and so we have to learn about the church the church has to grow the church has to uh, come into existence there needs to be believers in the church there needs to be a bride of christ form there needs to be various things that are going to happen he says the end doesn't follow immediately and he continued by saying to them nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom we know that that's all happened now but he's giving these prophetically There'll be great earthquakes, and in various places, plagues, and famines, and there'll be terrors, and great signs from heaven. Now, all those but the great signs from heaven have been fulfilled. The great signs from heaven, we learn and track it through the book of Revelation, we find out there's some specific signs in the tribulation that uh, have yet to be fulfilled. But all these other things have, have been fulfilled. What we do know also is that heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word of the word of God will pass away. The Lord will fulfill it all. And he says, but before all these things, they'll lay their hands, hands on you. <clears throat> they will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Who is he talking to? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Okay, Did any of that happen to them? Yeah, it happened to them. So he's talking specifically to those four guys. If you find that, um, read Matthew 24, they'll deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. Hmm. Let's see, three of them died martyrs' deaths, but one of them didn't. Okay, that's when it starts telling us that he's looking at preparing people for the first century after the resurrection. Now, verse 13 is where we left off. And he said it'll lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Testimony is marturion. Uh, used 19 times and it's evidence given as a witness. That's what a marturion is. If you were called as a witness in a court of law... That's, and you would be asked to do what? Give a testimony. And he's saying, basically, guys, don't sweat it. When this happens. Now, it, could there be 
better advice given to the world, Christians in the world at this time? You know, what we just heard about was people being persecuted. What's going on there is going on nations all over the planet. There are anti-proselyting laws in uh, India now. If a person converts, if you're as a church, a church and you go out and talk to somebody on the sidewalk and they convert, you've got to go to a court. That, those are the laws. You go to a court and you have to prove that you didn't buy them into the church. How do you buy them into the church? Give them a chainsaw. I mean, some type of tool. That's what they're looking for. If they did, you both go to jail. They don't, they, these are real laws. Now, we can't grasp that over here yet. But those are real laws that affect people all over this planet. Lead to an op And what do they do? It'll lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So while he's talking to these four, does this have application to the church? Because he said they're the beginning of birth pangs. Now, birth pangs get closer together, and they get more intense before birth is given. And what are they giving birth to? The millennial kingdom, the rule on the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says a little later in this, in this, you'll know that summer is near. When you see all these things getting ready to happen, it's time for the harvest. It's time for the harvest of the righteous and the tares to be taken out. It's getting close whenever he's talking about that. But that will happen at the second advent. Now the purpose behind the persecution is an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I think I see fewer and fewer Christian t-shirts today. Walking around Walmart and all those other places. You, you just check. See if you see more. I see fewer and fewer. I think people are becoming too scared. Too afraid. Paul wrote, for, and he asked in Ephesians, the last part of it, give us a spirit of boldness. You know, he didn't ask to be delivered. He said, if I'm here, I know I'm here for a reason, and I'm going to evangelize. And that's what he did. We know he evangelized the Praetorian Guard. But, but it's, a, it's an opportunity whenever somebody challenges you. I saw a thing on the television last night that was uh, uh, scary about a shop owner that didn't go along with what the mob wanted and the crowd wanted. They basically threatened to take him out and kill him and everything else. And you know what he did? He stood up and he preached right out of the Bible because they were upset that he didn't accept the LGBTQRST and all those things. And he didn't do that. And he just kept reading right out of the scriptures. And they got madder and madder and madder. He had the courage to stand up for what the Word of God has to say. It was an opportunity for a testimony. He saw it and he took it. Our testimony should look something like Jesus' testimony. 2 Timothy 1, verses 7 to 10. I love this. And anytime you're going to look at what is Jesus' testimony about, you take this passage and you take Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. And it teaches us that he was unselfish, that he was humble, and he was sacrificial. If he was selfish, he'd have never left his throne in heaven. But he decided to share it with us. He was humble. He humbled himself even by death on a cross. And he was sacrificial. That's the death on the cross. That's, those are markers of, of maturity. 
unselfishness, humility, and sacrifice. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. The power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And grace was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But it's now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So it's an opportunity for our testimony. As you get more and more opportunities, and it, it's coming. The last days, according to 2 Timothy 3, says things will go from bad to worse. It's coming. There are no political solutions that are going to fix this. This is a spiritual problem. And until people turn to the Lord, then uh, uh, until they turn to the Lord, it's not going to get fixed. It's not. And you know what? They don't even want us to tell people about him anymore. They pushed him out of the schools. Well, some of the churches have pushed him out. Sad to say. Because we don't want to preach Jesus. He's a stumbling block. So we don't want to talk to people about salvation. We don't want to talk to them about deliverance, not only from the penalty for sin, but the power of sin. We don't want to talk to them about it because it affects our numbers. Well, that's not the way it was ever designed to be. It's an opportunity for a testimony. And then in 21, 14, he says, so, look at this one. This is a conclusion. Un draws an inference from it. Make up your minds. Now, I don't know why the New American Standard translated it that way. It uses the word dithami, which means to set or to place something. And cardia, which is heart. Place it in your heart. Okay, Make this a part of you right now. This is the Lord saying to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. There are going to be things happen. Okay? And you make a decision right now. Set it in your hearts not to prepare beforehand. This is the, the weak negative with the present infinitive. Pramalatao. It's the only place that's used in the New Testament. And it means to premeditate. To defend yourselves. Apologeo. Apologetics comes from that. To defend yourself. Speak against. For. I will give you. Ditto me. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's only for Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But where does the application come in? Where does the application come in from this? He says, I will give you utterance. And that's stoma, which is the word for mouth. I'll give you a mouth. I'll make your mouth work. This is what he's saying. If you get called on the carpet for this, I'll make your mouth work. He says, not to prepare. He says, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. Now, your opponents is an anti-chemi. Anti is against, once again. Chemi means to be set against. One who is firmly entrenched in his own belief. Now, that's what he's the word he's using to describe opponents means one that firmly believes that what they believe is right. 
So he's not talking about somebody that passively goes along with the crowd. He is preparing us to stand against somebody that firmly believes what they believe and they believe the lie. And so he says, preparing beforehand. Because if you ever noticed about evil, it, it can adjust on a dime. It can change. You think you got them all figured out and they hit you from another direction. That's just the way that they work. You think you got all the answers to all the questions. Here it is. I've got a good attorney. We're well prepared. We've got all the answers to all the questions. And then you get asked a question you never thought about. Okay? And he's, he's basic. What would be a better use of time? Pray. Okay? That'd be a better use of time. He says we'll be able to resist, which is antistemi. Histemi means to stand. Anti against. He says, which none of your opponents firmly entrenched in their own beliefs will be able to stand against or anti-lego refute. That's our apologetics word. Speak against literally is what it is saying. Now, Jesus is calling his disciples to take a step of faith right then. Okay? That's what he's doing. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Okay, you guys listen. Put this in your heart. Remember this. Okay, because you are going to be drugged before kings and governors for my name's sake. Some of you are going to die. And he says, get ready for it. But take a step of faith right now. I've talked with people who work with martyrs all over the, the world. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs said that they have found the people best prepared have already made the decision as to what they're going to do when the bad guys break through the door and come after them. They've already made the decision. Who are they going to stand for? And that's the test. Stand for the Lord or just basically try to cover yourself. In other words, don't pull an Abraham. <laughs> Abraham, oh, say you're my wife or say you're my sister so they won't kill me. Remember Abraham, Sarah, twice. Genesis 12, Genesis 20. Yeah. Abraham, father of nations, great and holy father Abraham. Yeah, he made some big mistakes. He needed to be redeemed. He believed the Lord has imputed to him righteousness. Now, <clears throat> this is the, to completely trust him when they face persecution and trial. That's what he's telling them. Are you going to do that? Because this is a spiritual war that you're fighting. Okay? You're in a secular court. Drug before a secular court. Are you going to try and play a secular game? Especially if they have the deck stacked. Especially if they have judges. They don't care what the law has to say. If they have the deck, what are you going to do? When you're drug in front of those folks. This is, we, we used to call it faith rest. You have a promise of God. You have a, the will of God stated. And you put your trust in that. And then you rest. You rest. Leave it up to him. To lead you along the way. And some people say, I can't do that. And some people don't. But he said, are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to trust me or not? He is promising them that their opponents will not have any valid reasons to reject their words. Not that everyone will accept what they say. That's not what he's promising them. Because as we go through and we look at their history... What, what happened to Peter? Crucified upside down. 
What happened to Andrew? Crucified sideways on a cross. What happened to James? Killed. The first martyr killed. What happened to John? They tried every way under the sun to kill him and couldn't. Tried to boil him in oil. And I really am looking forward to talking to John about that. You know, did you, come on now, did you pull an Elijah and say, can't you get this a little hotter? It's cooling off. I mean, he, he, he knew what the Lord was doing and he, he relaxed about it. Now, this is what he's saying. He's saying that he's going to give you the words. They will have no valid reason to reject what you say and not that everyone will accept. They will learn to fulfill this command. They have to submit to God. See, because that's not human nature, is it? We're going to protect ourselves one way or another. James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God. Pretty clear-cut command. Next, resist the devil. What's our struggle against? It's not flesh and blood. The spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5. Be, on the, uh, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, lions don't roar until after they kill their prey. Hmm. What is it? What, how did this happen? Did Peter not know the way lions hunt? Or did Peter say, if you pay attention, he's a roaring lion out there? You know, he's not that hard to identify as to who he is. He says, looking for somebody to devour. He is out there. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So be prepared. Peter finally got it. Doesn't that give you encouragement? I mean, we read the Gospels and Peter never did get it. And then finally, 30 years later, and he's writing First and Second Peter, and you can look and go, he got it. <laughs> he finally figured it out. In Ephesians 6.13, put on the full armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? What if they kill me physically? Yeah, they can kill the body, they can't kill the soul. What if they kill me? What should I do? Why put on the full armor of God so you can resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm? The main reason for persecution is connected to the spread of the gospel. Which in context must proceed as return at the end of the age. Mark 13.10, our, our parallel verse. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. It was not preached to all nations in the first century. It wasn't. We're still reaching out. They still find tribes occasionally in Africa and India and Mongolia. In other places nobody's ever talked to before about the Lord. And he said, but what did Jesus say? Is that hard to understand? The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. He'll give them what they need to say. That's what he's saying via the Holy Spirit at the time they need it to handle the opponents. Mark 13, 11. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. See, Mark gets a little more specific on this thing. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't play cosmic games with the cosmos. 
because this is a spiritual battle. Now, verse 16. This is one of those exciting verses, but you will be betrayed. Future tense. Stated as a, as a certainty. <clears throat> Passive means you're, you'll receive the betrayal, and indicative, it's historical fact. Paradidomy. Same word used to describe what Judas did to the Lord. It literally means to get on me is to give and play a par is alongside, to place alongside. So the word doesn't inherently mean betray, but what it does mean is that, that you'll be placed alongside the truth. You'll be betrayed by people that you trust. It says <clears throat> you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And that puts some of you to death. Now he's talking the first century. He's talking here to the Jews who are going to be part of the foundation of the church and part of the cornerstones of the church. That's who he's talking to, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And he said, guess what's going to happen, guys? You're going to be betrayed. What's going to happen in the first century? Same thing. They're going to be betrayed in the first century. What's going to happen in the last days in the tribulation before the end of the age will be betrayal. And you're already seeing it start to happen now. Where um, several times, characteristics of the last days, it says children are disobedient to parents. And part of that is that they have no respect. They've not been taught to honor their father and their mother that their days be long on the earth. It'll be part of the birth pangs of the last days. You'll be betrayed by these, and they will put some of you to death. Notice there he says, some of you, very clearly talking to four guys, three of them were put to death. And it's uh, interesting that John wasn't put to death. See, the scripture is very precise and accurate. Whenever the Lord wants to give us a specific prophecy, that's what he does. And that's the way it always works out. Part of the birth pangs, they'll begin in the church age. It didn't just sneak up when the tribulation occurred. It was started in the church age. Betraying one another is a characteristic of the tribulation. From Matthew 24, 10, which says, At that time, what time? After verse 9 in Matthew 24, after they're delivered to tribulation. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another, and they'll hate one another. These are brothers hating brothers and sisters hating sisters and children hating parents and, and uh, all of that. Basically, a destruction of authority structures, relationships, everything that, that's imagined. Mark 13, 12, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. That most of, the, most of us cannot even imagine such a time frame as that. But in the tribulation, that's going to be commonplace. What, who, what are they going to be betraying? Well, I think those who don't take the mark of the beast. Hmm. They're already preparing the world for everybody to line up and get it. Now, the COVID shot is not the mark of the beast. Uh, I've, I've heard people say, well, it's the mark of the beast. Well, it's definitely preparation 
for it. But no, it's not the mark of the beast. Not if you believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. It said it'll be on your forehead or on your hand or both. So that's what that literally means. Some type of, of tattoo or whatever that, that uh, will be readable. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus warned his disciples about the fact they would be betrayed. We go back to Matthew 10. See, the Lord has been preparing these guys for three and a half years for this. He knew why he was there. He knew what the plan was. He kept trying to tell them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, be betrayed. See, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to wicked men. They're going to put me to death. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He told them that multiple times. <clears throat> Matthew 10, Behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. That was, uh, <laughs> this. It's, it's so amazing to see this really play out. Twenty uh, some odd years ago, I was in Vietnam. And of course, missionaries are not, uh, they don't want to, they don't want missionaries in Vietnam. So we were tourists. And we did some of the touristy things. And then we, we actually uh, uh, spoke at an open church. Because they had open churches even though they didn't like them. But in the open church the only way that, that they, you had to present your messages, any guests or anything a year in advance. And they had to be approved by the state. That was an open church. And then there was an underground church that was also going on. And in the open church, and this is a long time ago, so everybody there is, is gone. Uh, but in the open church, they, they had a special meeting on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, I got to speak to those folks. And it was a whole different scenario. You know, in, in other parts of the world, they often open the doors and the windows so the people outside can hear the message. Hmm. But, you know, as soon as I stepped up there, the pastor went to the back and closed them all. Uh, okay, a little bit different, unusual. Let me speak for about 45 minutes or something. And, and he was sitting at the back. In, in other parts of the world, pastors almost always sit at the front. I'm going, why is he sitting at the back for? So we had dinner with him the next night. And he said, uh, said, what? What happened? What was all this? And he said, well, in order for you to speak, he said, foreigners can't speak without approval. And you didn't have approval. And we hadn't had anybody, a foreigner, speak in here since 73. So <laughs> he said, we shut the doors. Because if they came in, they'd have to face me. And they don't want to face me. And we went, Why? Why, why don't they want to face you? He says, well, I'm an old man. And I have a heart condition. And I also get very mad. And if I get too mad and have a heart attack and die, they're going to have to deal with all these Christians spread out across the, the city. And they don't want to do that. So he was wise as a serpent <laughs> and harmless as a dove. He said, they want to come through me, that's okay. It's a blessing to see the way these things are, are applied. And he says, here are the 70. He just sent out, beware of men. 
They'll hand you over to courts, scourge you in their synagogues. Now, he's telling this to his group of disciples at the first advent. And you'll be even brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you're supposed to say. See, this was the training session, the OJT for these guys. It's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother. And father a child. He's talking there clearly to the first century. It's not a prophetic discourse other than an immediate prophecy. You'll be hated by all on account of my name. Whenever they persecute you in one city, go to the next. For truly I say to you, you'll not finish going through the cities of Israel till the Son of Man comes. Hmm. Earlier he warned his disciples that they'd be persecuted. The betrayal would be similar to the pattern set by Jesus, Judas because betrayal basically means to deliver into the hands of an enemy in violation of a trust. You trust somebody and they betray you and they hand you over. It's interesting because where there's a trust, there's a potential for betrayal. And some people may have been betrayed and they find it hard to ever trust anybody again. That's not the way we need to live our lives. We put our trust first in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he will guide and lead our steps. Because he wants us to have and develop relationships with other people. And to do that, it involves an element of trust. And that is risky business. But it's worth it. Verse 17 says, and you'll be hated. You will be hated by all. Now, in this, don't you just love to hear this on Sunday morning? <laughs> You're going to be a Christian here. You're going to stand for the cause of Christ. And here is these four guys. And what were these four guys still looking for? Who was going to be the leader in the kingdom, right? They've been arguing about it for years. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Can I sit at your right and the other one sit at your left? I mean, they had mama involved. James and John had mama involved on that. And, and the Lord didn't, didn't bite for it at all. You're going to be hated. This is a pure future tense of esomai, which is used to introduce a basically a pure prophecy. And it is followed by the word maseo, which is the word for hate. And it's a participle. So it's going to keep on going. It's... It's what they call a present periphrastic construction, which I know just thrills most of you to the nth degree, whatever a present periphrastic is. And it's, what it does is put a, a, a special stress on the fact you're going to face it. There's no stronger way to, to, to state it in the Greek language. He said you'll be hated by all. Now who's the all in the context? Your opponents. The people that are firmly entrenched, like Gary Horton used to say, uh, like concrete, all mixed up and firmly set. That's what a lot of people are, all mixed up and firmly set. You'll be hated by all because of my name, Jesus' name, Anima, because of who he is, because of his reputation. You know, his reputation is what? For God so loved the world. That's, that's a terrible thing to be hated for, isn't it? Someone that would love you enough to pay a sin you couldn't pay. 
even death on a cross, and to hate that person? And he said, but if you're one of mine, it's going to happen. You see it more and more. Verse 17 and 18, yet not a hair of your head will perish. Now this is a proverbial statement declaring no essential harm will come to the disciples. Because it means, what it means is that God is aware of your circumstances. And he considers you valuable. You may not have a lot of hair to count. But he considers you valuable. And Matthew 10, 30 to 33. Here's a similar thing. We're just in Matthew 10. He says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, see that? Do not fear. There's a conclusion. You are more value than many sparrows. Sparrow falls to the ground. God doesn't know about it. He said, no, he does. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I'll confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. Whoever shall deny me before men, I'll deny him before my Father, who is in heaven. God's aware of your circumstances. He knows all your tests. All the little bitty ones and all the great big ones. And you know, he knows how you're going to do before you do. That's called omniscience. There's nothing he can't or doesn't know. He already knows. So why, why does he say confess your sins? It's for us. It's for our benefit. So... <clears throat> He just said that some of them are going to be put to death, didn't he? A couple of verses back. And now he says, not a hair of your head will perish. Okay. They'll not be harmed, but he's referring to the spiritual principle rather than a physical one. Now see, this is one of the, the harder things, and I think part of the mystery of the church. Because the Old Testament, we get promises of physical deliverance and all that and it frequently happens whenever we get into the church it is a spiritual battlefield not that it wasn't in the old testament but it is primarily spiritual to the church and so he's basically saying that that whatever you face no matter what it is not a hair of your head is referring to a spiritual principle. If you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, if you'll not prepare beforehand, spiritually, you're going to be delivered from the power of that sin that just wants to protect yourself at all costs. Spiritually, that's what will happen. Did this ever happen to Peter and John in the fourth chap chapter of the book of Acts? And they were praying in the temple. You remember that? They were praying in the temple. They got caught. <laughs> probably not just praying. Probably proselyting. And the, so they get drugged in front of the Sanhedrin. And what are they, say, what are they told to do? You're going to have to deny this Jesus. You're going to have to turn against him. He said, sorry, we can't do that. And we're not going to do that. We're just not going to do that. But if you don't do that, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to get flogged. Guess what happened? They got flogged. See? Not a hair of your head. Well, they, they, I guess their hair survived the flogging. But they, they got through. They got hurt, didn't they? And then what did they say they did? They went on their way rejoicing. Right, for what? 
that they had the privilege to suffer for Christ. That's what they did. The Lord kept his word. When you find Paul talking about, pray for my deliverance, he's not talking about a physical deliverance. Context says he's fine being in prison because he's evangelizing people. He's fine. He's fine. If they want to take him out and behead him, fine. Whatever they want to do. But he's praying for his deliverance. He's talking about spiritual deliverance from sin. He doesn't want to go back to living that life of slavery to the sin nature that he once had while he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He didn't want to do that at all. If they trust him during difficult times, if they or we trust him during difficult times, we will endure with honor. And that's our testimony. It is an opportunity for your testimony. So when we stand up, when we stand firm, whenever trouble comes at us in the charge of the lion, as it is called, what, what will we do? How will we handle it? It's what Christ did for us, though, isn't it? He stood up for us. He trusted the Father during the difficult times, the times on the cross. And he stood up for us so that he might go ahead and bear our sins in his body on a tree. That whosoever might believe in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. As a result, that name that it was just talked about, you'll be hated by all on account of my name. That name is the name above every name, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. He is the only name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. That is what his name is all about. It's a reputation, always doing the right thing, being a trailblazer, cutting a path, setting an example. He said, I want you to trust me with all of who you are. And he said, you want to really live? Hmm. That's the way it is. Let's pray. Father, again, we are so amazed at who you are. We're so amazed at your word. We're so amazed that it prepares us for various tests and trials and tribulations that we face. And Father, it prepares us also for a testimony. And that should be where we are. Father, it's so easy to get distracted, to try and save ourselves, to just try and disappear and sneak away. And Father, let us not have a spirit of timidity, but let us indeed have a spirit of boldness. Father, that we may speak the truth in love to a lost and dying world, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.